So here you go, guys. Uh, this is the latest. What I'm going to be doing, I usually wait until I have a whole episode. Um, what I'll do is I'll start an episode and I'll just keep adding to it. And you guys can check back in uh, for the latest. Uh, and I'm putting the most important stuff up there. I think that this Ben Fulford uh, report, it had some really interesting things. I myself am listening to it multiple times. Uh, So something that he's warning about in it is the EMP, possibility of an EMP attack. So if that is the case, uh, after this, I'm making a cake right now. After this, I will be doing my homework on what we can do to protect our devices. Um, They said that it might go down for uh, three or four days, but I don't know. Are are the devices going to be ruined or... Is it just going to like everything is just going to come back online once it's over? I do not know. Um, It definitely seems like most high is getting our attention, don't it? But anyway, uh, so the EMP, I just heard an announcement and I will add, uh, you know, actual audio receipts from uh, the news. Um, that families will be getting assistance, Americans will be getting assistance through this, um, and uh, many of us are concerned uh, about the people of Italy, and our our American hearts go out to you, they really do. Um, We do understand that it is uh, mostly elderly, but we we grieve your loss. Um, So the whole world, everybody, just hang on, you know, and um, it sounds good. It really does sound good. Um, Even from a computer voice, it sounds good. Um, There's some couple of other things you could, you could hear it, hear it all. I mean, I literally had to, I'm listening to this for the third time. He's dropping so much stuff, talking about holograms, just so much stuff. So uh, check this out listen, listen a couple of times. You might have to, and I'll be adding, uh, more to this episode. Kyla Powers Radio. Oh my goodness. So I'm back in on, uh, the full Ford report. I would so much rather have him talking and have an interview, but whatever it's computerized. I'm so sorry guys that it is computerized. But and I'm sorry that I'm scratching just a little bit. Uh, but this is talking about uh, I don't know if certain people are trying to cover their tracks, if they're trying to, you know, do a mirage or whatever, but they're talking about holograms. Okay, watch out. Here we go, John. Benjamin Fulford Project Blue Beam is full steam ahead. So sit back and enjoy the fake Armageddon. So, oh, I did want to say a couple of things. So don't believe everything that you hear and not even everything that you see. Because we know that they have been preparing the skies uh, to show us images. And they're doing the practice runs. where they don't have, And they're not having concerts with, you know, dead pop stars to see how much control it'll have over people for no reason. So I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for what they're going to roll out. Um, don't be afraid. <laughs> but it might be, 
scary. I don't know. On the roof of a church in Spain. Oh God, let's go back. Let's go back. Over thirty countries under. Oh, let's go all the way back. Here we go. Welcome to the channel. Hello. <coughs> How Project Bluebeam is fooled back and enjoyed the fake Armageddon show. Benjamin Fulford. March 23.2020. Okay. Author, Benjamin Fulford. Project Bluebeam is full steam ahead, so sit back and enjoy the fake Armageddon show. The fake end times scenario now unfolding in the West will soon get more fantastical, so sit back and enjoy the show. Although it may seem scary at times, the real aim is to create a better world. We have defined the duration of the theater as 20 months, says a European royal family source. So far over 30 countries and a billion people are on lockdown as part of the show. However, at the same time, we are also hearing from esoteric sources that a very real was that has been raging for thousands of years is coming to an end. If humanity is victorious, the quarantine on the planet Earth will be lifted and humanity will be lifted and humanity will be allowed out into the universe, according to sources in the family groups that control monotheism. Before this is possible though, the old financial control grid has to be collapsed and that means there will be turbulence and some hardship, especially in the West, as the rest of the world stops paying tribute to the Khazarian mob, Asian secret society sources say. Before we take a look at what will happen to the financial system, let us take a peek at some of the projects Bluebeam Fake End Times show now being promoted. The P3 Freemasons sent me the following images and video last week. Cause it's gonna be fake, fake, fake. It's gonna be fake, fake, fake. Mm. The first is of devil's horns appearing above a church in Austria. Then the devil appeared in the Persian Gulf. The video is of a demon appearing on the roof of a church in Spain. A short video of it can be seen here. With a few clicks of the mouse, we checked out what the P3 sent us and found out the following. According to NASA, the first picture is of a partial eclipse of the sun that took place in 2003. News reports say the second was a partial eclipse on January 7th, 2020. Maybe... But the P3 does have the technology to beam such holograms in the sky, which they demonstrated to me when I visited them in 2009. The gargoyle or demon on the church roof, oh, it turns out, was created by what appears to be a teenager in Spain working on his home computer. Oh, the six-minute video below shows exactly how parallel reality can be created on the internet. In any case... The fake pandemic show we are now seeing actually represents a real war for the planet Earth. NSA sources are now telling us that COVID-19 equals covered virus infection destruction 2019. The question is, whose destruction? The controllers of the old system are trying to stay in power by using bioweapons and 5G electromagnetic attacks to kill large portions of the population and force the rest into submission. That is not the resistance right. forces are neutralizing the bioweapons and preventing the installation of 5G towers. In a counterattack, they are using the ongoing economic disruption to end Khazarian mafia control of the financial system. So far the white hats appear to be winning. They are saying Italy now has the most deaths from the pandemic and the entire country is on lockdown. 
However, if you look at the data, it shows the average age of the people dying is 80 and 99% of them had one or usually more pre-existing medical conditions. In other words, all the cabal has working for it, is fear-mongering BS. Since the pandemic show and computer graphics may soon stop fooling people MI6 and CIA sources say the next phase will involve a giant magnetic pulse that will pass through Mother Gaia within the week. Oh, no. This will cause a temporary shutdown of the internet and mobile phone communications. Oh. MI6 sources say. Oh my goodness. The airlines have already started to be prepared. Airplanes flying <coughs> at the time of the huge electromagnetic pulse that passes through the planet will be... Okay, so they also sent me a message about EMP. So I'm wondering how we can protect our devices. Uh, I'm going to get on that. How we can protect our devices so that when the EMP is over, uh, the, the devices will work again. Knocked out of the sky. Watch for any plane crashes over the next week or so. This will be the cause, CIA sources say. Certainly, air traffic is being shut down. This prediction of a massive asteroid or asteroid exploding in the atmosphere by NASA may be the trigger for another big magnetic wave that will hit the planet within 10 days. It may shut down all electronics on the planet for a few days until there is a reboot, CIA sources say. Let us see. But... As a precaution, make sure you have the landline numbers or physical addresses of those closest to you. Now let us look at the economic disruption caused by the pandemic show. As a junior financial reporter, I remember the incredible fuss created when central bankers announced such things as a 0.25% change in interest rates. Well now, we have James Bullard, the president of the St. Louis Fed predicting 30% unemployment and a 50% GDP crash. This would be more than twice as bad as the Great Depression of the 1930s. Right. So the FRB has cut interest rates from 1.25% to 0.15%. Launched over $700 billion in quantitative easing. Launched a $1.5 trillion repo program. Launched another $1 trillion repo program. Daily announced it will begin buying commercial paper, short-term corporate debt, allowed primary dealers to start parking assets, including stocks, as collateral in exchange for short-term credit. Announced it will begin buying municipal debt, opened unlimited dollar swap lines to the world. And the result of all this record amount of liquidity provision, almost $30 trillion of global wealth destruction, bonds and stocks. This graph below shows how the once almighty Fed has completely lost its mojo. They pump astronomical sums of fake money and nobody believes them anymore. The next step is going to involve in handing cash directly to the people. MI6 sources are saying each person will be sent one or two thousand dollars every month until the crisis ends. U.S. Treasury Secretary Stephen Nutchin is talking about $3,000 for each family of four, more unemployment insurance and $4 trillion in liquidity to support the economy. European royal family sources say a write-off of all debts is also now in the works. The other thing that is going on is that the Western system of crony capitalism is being dismantled. Since most financial institutions and large corporations will go bankrupt from the predicted 50% fall in GDP, they will end up being nationalized, 
P3 Freemason sources say. This process has already begun in Germany where they have launched a massive quasi-nationalization of every industry. The system will be replaced by a communist-capitalist hybrid system modeled after the very successful system pioneered by Japan after WW2 and improved upon by Singapore and China, both P3 and MI6 sources say. Okay now let us take a look at other aspects of the ongoing hybrid world was that is underway. Pentagon sources say that the 311 quake in upstate NY and 318 quake in Salt Lake City, Utah may have destroyed Cabal underground bases. The same applies to the March 22nd earthquake in Croatia. The sources also say, Trump ally former House Speaker Newt Gingrich appears to be the de facto governor of Italy since he is trapped there and his wife is U.S. ambassador to the Vatican. Plus, their Zionists are losing control as Israeli shill Nikki Haley was forced to resign from Boeing's board. At the same time, the shyster Israelis full of hubris signed their own death warrant when they refused to turn over 911 perps and source code for the Iron Dome to the U.S. military that was funded by U.S. taxpayers. We also heard from CIA sources in Southeast Asia that there was a massive electromagnetic radiation disaster near Wuhan. Furthermore, this caused a tear in the space-time continuum, they say. The sources add, the Chinese have technology and devices that we are not aware of. Regardless of these hidden events, it is clear that economic activity in Japan and China are now reverting back to normal despite what is going on in the West. The Japanese are also disobeying orders from their former Khazarian Mafia masters and are no longer going along with the pandemic performance art show. However, there is severe warfare going on in the West where we are seeing all sorts of former top political and business players vanishing. The latest appears to be German Chancellor Angela Merkel who is under home quarantine. The 27-member EU bloc has shut its borders and Belgium, France. Portugal, Spain, and Italy are under lockdown as mass arrests begin, NSA sources say. Poland has gone as far as to shut its borders with other EU states. We are also seeing possible cabal ecocide near Saudi Arabia as they threaten to kill the Red Sea by blowing up a tanker and creating a massive oil spill. Despite these sorts of threats, Wildlife has already been returning to cities and flourishing as a result of the ongoing changes in our economic management. Soon our cities will be covered in green and filled with small animals. Finally this week, I would like to share something unusual that happened the other night. When I was relaxing in a meditative state of consciousness one evening, I wrote the following on a box of tissues, pseudo-carrier effect equals placebo jumps to higher fractal state. I can assure you that I had no idea what this message meant and it did not come from me or my subconscious but was dictated to me telepathically. Oh. Internet research led to a single reference for pseudocarrier. Oh. It appears that by planting just a single species of shrub in the desert, a butterfly effect occurs that leads to the desert turning into a forest. Oh. The shrubs allow trees to get started, and these then capture moisture and the entire ecosystem changes. Yeah. This sort of process is also known as a fractal phase change. A familiar example is boiling water. The water builds up heat until it suddenly starts to boil and the water turns to steam. 
What we are trying to accomplish with the placebo or fake pandemic and end times is to trigger such a phase change on a planetary level. The aim is to transform the planet into a higher state, with details in the months to come so stay tuned. When the White Dragon Society and its allies win this secret was for the planet Earth, before too long there will be humans living on other planets as our species undergoes an exponential expansion. This is what happens when sperm meets egg in the womb only this time the womb is Gaia herself. Huh. Very interesting and I think very, um, very optimistic news. I enjoyed it. Yeah, so, um, we, you're going to hear in about two seconds, you're going to hear, uh, what's going on. The coronavirus could be a huge distraction while the banks and these people, uh, leave their jobs and they go to their private islands and they fake their deaths. They are running away with the bank, y'all. And um, the thing is, we got to stop them. And the question is, how? How to stop them? Um, I just heard a little bit of a video that said, I think it was Patriot News that said, well, they're not going to be have public tribunals, which kind of means they probably could just go away and never be publicly shamed other than the big names that we know about it. And never have to pay this back and they're still living la vida loca so the thing is this isn't you know i'm very optimistic and i'm very happy and you know thinking that the white hats are going to do something but still like all of this is still here say until uh you know really it's going to take some people really being held accountable for people to maintain uh, any trust in the system it has to, even if you build a new system and you say, oh, well, we're going to do everything brand new and we're wiping out everything that's old. It's all just going to disappear. You know, it just doesn't exist anymore or whatever. It sets a poor example not to hold, not to even, even if you publicly, it must be known by all people what really happened and I'm not just talking about like, um, you know, there was these cable movies, uh, what happened in 2008, too big to fail. No, I mean, seriously, um, if we're going to public shame some people and, you know, private citizens lives are destroyed over hearsay, then if we know that these people walked away with billions of dollars destroying the economy, uh, having all kinds of people face horrible situations, um, they got to be held accountable and the people have to see them held accountable. I, I know, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, don't be lenient. Oh, and then they flashed Medea's family funeral again. Well, guess what? I can't control what you do. You're a bunch of murderers. You're liars and you're murderers. You're going to do whatever it is you're going to do. And none of us are going to go before our time. None of us are going to go. But if that is our time, that is our time. You don't scare me. The whole world, the whole world has to stand up and stop this. Um, and we can't think that we have it in the bag, even though we see some signs of hope, even though we hear some things, nothing has been confirmed. 
nothing has been confirmed. So um, if, if the White Hats are really in control and we have so many great things going for us, then then let's really see this accountability. See, they're still putting up the boys and they're still putting this stuff up. So that means somebody that is still angry about what they think is going to go on is still behind the scenes. They cannot be allowed. If we're going to go to a new system, you can't still have, you can't still have the corruption and the old people there because it's going to, it's going to pollute, um, it's going to pollute, uh, whatever is new there. You can't, you, you can't keep it. You can't keep the same old people and just be like, oh, you know, we're going to change. They're, they're never, I don't think that they're going to change. They're not going to change. So um, I'll believe. Oh, and here is the here is the coffin. They're showing us the coffin. So that tells me that everything that we're seeing is fake. Because if what we were seeing uh, was true and everything is going to be so OK, then they wouldn't have to threaten. So when when you threaten. And when you show that, you show that we can't believe our eyes and we can't believe our ears and we still have to stay vigilant and we still have to be thinking of a way out. And then they're putting Chicago fire on again. Okay, so these are all the threats and I now know how to document them for everybody to see my dad's coffin and then here's salt. Okay, so all of it is documented. Whatever you do, there's nothing I can do about your demonic activities. There's absolutely nothing I can do. It is in the hands of the Most High. But I'm not going to be a fool and believe propaganda until I see it. Just because you pretend like you're uh, whatever ailments you pretend to have doesn't mean that you do. If you all believe that I should have been subjected to endless persecution over situations that you caused and you people literally murdered eight people, brought down the whole system, you don't think you should get you should face any consequences. OK, here we go. Oh my gosh, Marino's going in. I mean, Manorino. Listen to this. Was a pretty, let's just say it, it was a monster rally. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was up by 1,300 points at one time today. Um, it basically gave back two-thirds of that. More than that. More than two-thirds going into the close. The NASDAQ went negative. And the S&P 500 barely put on anything. But keep this in mind, too. 25% of the gains in the Dow today, about 400 and something points, was Boeing. Um, now, again, the government is picking winners and losers as they are nationalizing the mega corporations. So initially, Boeing had said uh, they were not going to accept a government stake in uh, their company, but guess what? Uh, yeah, they're going to. They're going to be forced to. Uh, every corporation here, 
that is getting a part of this rescue or bailout or nationalization is going to be forced by the new America to uh, accept a government stake in it. I mean, this is a takeover on an incredible, epic scale. Um, but let's talk about where the real story was today. So again, yeah, <laughs> we had a rally on Wall Street. The Dow finished up higher. Nothing extraordinary compared to the gains and losses we've seen lately. NASDAQ goes negative. Um, it's, it's pretty incredible. <laughs> But the real story is this, and I'm gonna um, I'm gonna look to make sure I'm still on point here. Negative yields have finally come to the shores of, well, the new America. Uh, this would not have happened in the old world America, which is now dead and buried. But in the new America, this is what we got: the U.S. one-month Treasury and the U.S. three-month are both yielding. Negative. The six-month is not far behind. To me, this is a very sad day um, for those of us left over from old world uh, America and entering this new oh, no. paradigm, this new America. Um, it's to me. I mean, look, I'm I'm old. I'm old. Uh, how old am I? I'm 54. To see this happen here. Uh, in a country which really should have been a, a gleaming beacon of light around the world, now falling into some kind of a third world banana republic, uh, you know, and that's, it's going to get much, much worse. Wait for the unemployment numbers tomorrow. Uh, well, it's pretty pathetic, but let me, let me share this with you. When the rates, uh, the, when the yields went negative today, just four things just popped into my head. I know you can't read that, so I'll read it to you. And, and this is in no particular order. Okay, so this is what negative, negative yields mean to me. Uh, hold that thought. So number one, it's a no confidence vote for the economy. Number two, those individuals or whoever is holding this debt is guaranteed to suffer a loss. Uh, that's pretty pretty incredible. Uh, it's more proof to me, and more than likely to you, that we are in a debt market super bubble. And number four, uh, like I said, I, I wrote four things down just off the top of my head. The fourth one here is the Fed will follow with more rate cuts into the negative. That's coming as well to punish the American people. That's what this is all about. We're getting a, a thrashing on an epic scale. So also, from what I understand, uh, the government, uh, the new American government, is going to be uh, giving checks out to American citizens making less than $75,000 a year to the tune of $1,200. Wow, what a windfall. What are you going to do with that? I mean, you, you can't make this stuff up if you tried. It's impossible, but that's where we are at with regard to uh, it's look. Uh, I personally think that we should whoever, unless you really are desperate, you should burn it. Um, this is not how a free society works. But again, people don't want to be free. People want to be taken care of. This is the new America. This is what the new world order uh, 
is, is feeding you what you want. They're giving you what you want uh, to be taken care of, to have nationalized corporations, to have your freedoms taken away, your liberties taken away, your new constitution is coming, mark my words on that. Um, and, and we have, this is nothing. These are the opening salvos, what we're seeing coming down the pike here. I think, you know, the age of anyone being able to sustain even the slightest bit of pain is well over with. And, and again, those that are in charge understand that and they're capitalizing on it to issue in, well, the new world order, where we are now, this completely new system, a completely new financial system. Understand what's going on. The Federal Reserve is buying the world. And included in that world is every aspect of the debt market that you can imagine is being bought by the Fed. We're nationalizing industries, we're nationalizing corporations, they're buying the stock market, they're buying ETFs, uh, corporate debt, municipal debt, government debt, everything. This is their final solution, so no surprise to you at all. I've been outlining this since time in freaking memorial that this was their end game. This was their final solution. Uh, and I'll tell you something else. Why are we not hearing anything about the amounts? Because I can't find anything. Um, <laughs> but we know it's in the trillions that the Federal Reserve is pumping into the debt markets. Um, they're also, you have to just hear something else. The Federal Reserve is dollarizing the world. They are, they are funneling dollars to other central banks around the world. Who, what do you think they're doing with these... American, new American dollars. Well, of course, they're buying assets, yeah. But what kind of assets are they buying? I think that's something that should be disclosed. Obviously, it won't. Uh, it's part of this whole shadow system. I think we all realize that, that the, the shadow system run by va the vampires who have covered uh, are running the entire world. You and I just grease the wheels with our blood, with our guts, uh, and everything else they can suck out of us. That's where we are at here. So let's talk a little more about other assets. No, no, you know what? Let's stick to the stock market real quick. What we have now is an environment unlike anything we've ever seen. So we have the, the, the Federal Reserve buying the entire world, buying every single aspect of the market right now. Uh, obviously, they're not buying metals. Obviously, they're not buying cryptocurrencies. Um, so to me, these are the places where opportunity lies. Okay, you know all that already. I've been covering it to the point of like, it's just incredible. Now, the stock market, I want to I wanna talk about that a little bit more. Being that this market has no resemblance of a free market at all, and the Fed's buying it all, it's very difficult to put a price target on any of it, up, down, sideways, round and round, whatever it feels like doing. But what we can look at, at least for now, I mean, is the, is the debt market. And I explained this to you earlier today. The debt market is screaming and louder and louder, at least to me, I can hear it, that there are big, bigger, much bigger problems coming down the pike. Um, and the solution here, at least for now, 
as we have officially dipped into a negative yield environment is this is going to get worse. Uh, it, there's no doubt about it. The entire yield curve is going to continue to crater. Now that we have the short end of the curve in the negative, I think the rest of it's going to follow too. Um, and the American people are going to suffer for that. There's just They're going to suck us all dry. That's the plan here. Um, and to try to get us to comply, they're going to make things as unbearable as they possibly can. And then what are they going to do? They're going to offer you a big, fat, ugly solution. Oh, yeah. Big, fat, ugly solution. Uh-huh. And uh, it's not going to be, obviously, I mean, you know, it's, a, it's almost laughable at this point, a gold-backed currency. Uh, this digital dollar is all but done. It's just a matter of they got to flip that switch. I mean, think about it. It's already digital. There is $1.7 trillion on Earth, actual printed. The rest of it, it's all digital. And the trillions that are being shoved into this debt market, into the equity markets, uh, central banks around the world, that's, that's all digital too. <laughs> so hold on to a few of those dollars you have because you're going to be able to put them on your wall at one point again and tell your grandchildren, we used to use these to buy things in the store. You really mean that, Grandma and Grandpa? You had to do, you had to carry those in your pocket. Oh, that must have been so inconvenient. And those these pieces of, of, of metal, fake metal, you had to, you used to carry those around too to buy things. Yeah, we did that. Can you believe how that's how it used to be back in the day? Well, that's what you can expect. Um, there's no doubt about it. As the one world currency, the one world government uh, envelops us all. That's where we are at. I mean, honest, honestly, um, the nationalization of corporations. The dollarization of the world, <laughs> uh, American citizens, uh, you know, begging for that check. I got to have that $1,200. It's going to change my life. If that seriously is the truth, your troubles are a lot worse than you even think they are. Um, that's just pathetic in, in, in my book. And I, and I know some people really do need it, but that should tell you the lies that you've been fist-fed by someone with a very strange complexion, kind of orangish, uh, over the past few years, booming. American people, we're all rich. This, his words, right out of his mouth. Um, and again, this really isn't all his fault. This started under Barack Obama. Barack Obama, yeah, he was the one who uh, who would not allow a free market to do its one and only job. It was part of the setup to where we are now. Uh, QE1 had to happen to free up the debt market, the, the, the credit freeze that we were in very briefly. Those capital injections into the financial system had to happen. But that was it. Let the market stay low. Let's have a real economy. No, they had to inflate it all like they did now. President Trump, Trump had to hyperinflate it. So this would give them an opportunity now to nationalize industries, to nationalize corporations. Uh, it's, it's so sick. But it was a plan many, many years, many, many years, decades in the making, and it has absolutely fallen into place. Um, I think a lot of us believed it wouldn't happen during our lifetime, but it's here now. A lot of people didn't believe we wouldn't get negative yields here in the United States uh, I do recall someone explaining to you, oh yeah, it was me, uh, that this would happen. 
Uh, and, and here it is. It's here now. And it's about to get monumentally worse. There is no doubt about it. You can expect the, the rest of the curve to follow. You can expect the Fed to go negative, which means you're going to pay your institutions. You know, we're all in this together. You know that. You see the commercials being circulated? We're all in this together, which means you should be happy that you will at one point be forced to pay the banks because we have to bail them out too. Uh, you personally have to bail them out. I guess this is kind of like a bail-in, wouldn't you say, when they go negative and then you see that they're siphoning cash out of your accounts. Hold on a second. I had X. Now I have X minus X. Oh, but we're all in this together. So you should be happy about it. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. This is the new norm. I want you to Google the new norm and the new reality. These two phrases, the new norm, new reality, are, are everywhere. Um, they're trying to they brainwash you into believing that, okay, everything is fine. This is the new norm. This is new reality. Get used to it because we're all in this together. We're all in it together, you know that. Except for the vampires who live in the shadows, who run everything that way. Uh, and they're going to suck you dry. I mean, literally suck you dry. And many, many, many people are going to die. Many, many, many people I are going to die. I saying this. Um, so that's pretty much where we are the at. The only person I telling the truth. I most of Damn. what I wanted to. This I always forget something like... The moment I like stop recording, I go, oh, I forgot Man to say that. But I think I, I covered what's important here. Let, let's just summarize real quick. What was a pretty monster rally on Wall Street fizzled out. NASDAQ finishes in the negative. Uh, we'll see where this market goes. The Fed's buying everything. Everything. So there's no... No, no real market whatsoever. Not like we had one uh, for the past few years. It's been nothing but a hyperinflated bubble. We now have negative bond yields here in the United States. That's about to get much worse, too. Uh, with regard to predicting this market, give it your best shot, okay? Um, my read on this market has been pretty much spot on. But right now, my, my crystal ball is a little cloudy here. Uh... With now the Fed doing what they're doing, buying the world, nationalizing corporations, picking winners and losers, um, it's going to be very difficult. But that does not mean that what's happening on the ground isn't going to fall apart. And we're going to see some of that when we get these unemployment numbers. And how many of you believe these numbers are going to be real? I don't. But we're all in this together. We're all in it together. Love you. Please share this video. And uh, I'm out of here. Wow, lots of respect. Kind of Powers Radio. We're back in. We're gonna listen to Robert Kiyosaki, Kiyosaki, author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, and he's being interviewed by Kitco News about uh, the self-isolation -isol as making people trip up the words. No, uh... Mm, the realizations that people are having about being in this uh, corrupt system. Here we go. The best-selling author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and his latest, Who Stole My Pension? How to Stop the Looting, Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, what an honor to have you back on the show at such a pivotal time. Nice to see you. Oh, no, I, I, I always gush 
love and admiration for you and Kitco because uh, you guys have been, I don't know if it's telling the truth, but you're not lying to people. That's another way of saying it. You know, it's, you've been keeping people aware. So I thank you and Kitco what you do we're trying to we're trying to keep people woke here robert that's right and um you know it's thanks to having guests like you on and uh, i was excited to get your 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 thoughts i've been following all your twitter action all week you've been very vocal and very upset about what the the fed's been doing here um let's talk about you know what you've dubbed here as corrupt capitalism well it's uh i don't doubt the pandemic is real. I don't doubt that coronavirus is real. I don't doubt it's dangerous. I'm probably target market for the coronavirus, you know, simply because I've had pneumonia three times. I had malaria. I had a diving accident where I blew my lungs out. You know, I embolized. So I'm I'm candidate. So so I'm just as concerned about the coronavirus, but I think it's a sleight of hand. It's -hmm. called, you know, in that book, uh, The Creature from Jekyll Island, Edward Griffin wrote about the mandrake mechanism, where mandrake's the magician. And so what the magician does, he has everybody so afraid of this thing called a virus, which I say is real, as they steal your money and they steal your wealth. And I've been, you know, chicken little, as you know, for years and years and years, advising people not to save money, but to save gold and silver, what I call God's money. And I've been chicken little for so long, I'm actually quite happy the, pan, the, the virus is here because people are saying, I should have listened to you. And I said, yeah, you should have. <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to talk about uh, gold in a, in, a, in a second and what you're doing uh, to protect yourself here, uh, Robert. I know last time you said you were buying silver. Aren't you happy you bought it back then? Because now people can't find it. That not that part of the fake? You know, my book was also fake money before who stole my pension. And before that was conspiracy of the rich. And before that was prophecy predicting the financial crash that came in 2016. But it didn't come till 2020. So I was off by four years. Yeah. But anyway, my concern is that there's the, the gold markets manipulated also. As you know, there's three markets. And then there's the futures, there's the paper, you know, GLD and SLV, and then there's physical. So the price on the futures doesn't match match the physical. Now, there isn't a wake-up call saying, well, who's messing with my gold and silver? So that's that's what I'm saying to people. It's all manipulated. So you've got to watch Kitco and, and listen well, to your we, we actually, you know, broke that story this morning, you know, because I'm looking at the futures. I'm looking at the spot right before noon. There was you know, a $45 discrepancy. I'm thinking, well, what's the real, what's the real price here? And, um, you know, we saw what happened to, to silver last week. So on one hand, there's this huge silver shortage. Um, but you know, silver's having a good day today, but last week it got, you know, was plummeted. So, you know, wh- where's that disconnect happening? Well, as I wrote about my book, fake, you know, you have fake money, you have fake school teachers. They don't teach anything about money. And you have fake assets. The biggest fake is the stock market. I mean, how can it go up 1,500 points in five seconds and then come down 1,000 points in five seconds? If that's not manipulation, wake up and smell the coffee. But as you and I know, which Kitco reports on, the real problem is in the repo market and the commercial paper market. That's where the real theft is taking place right now. And the average person is watching the stock market and my friends call up and they said, you know what? I should have bought some gold and silver. 
Well, it's kind of nice to be Chicken Little and be validated finally, but these guys now can't find any gold and silver. So I, I pray for them tonight. You, 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 you also tweeted, Robert, that, you know, the moves we're seeing in gold today, you know, at one point we were up $100, just shows, um, unfortunately, lack of confidence in, in leaders, in yeah. political leaders. Well, people are finally waking up that you cannot trust our own government. You know, I was a, I was a Marine pilot in Vietnam, and that's where I had my wake-up call in 72. I said, Kipasa. Why am I out here shooting innocent people? <laughs> and who am I shooting them for? It's just like weapons of mass destruction. Where are they? You know, I mean, I, if people I agree with are like Gerald Salente, man, he says it better than I do. And Jim Records, by the way, Jim and I are writing a book together called The Ravens. It's how do you see the future. But these guys have been saying it for years. And Danielle, the good thing is, I think people, as they sit in quarantine, as they lose their jobs or homes or pensions, their businesses and all this, I think they're waking up that they're being screwed. They've been screwed. I think that's the message, Danielle, is the American public is finally waking up. It's not capitalism, it's corrupt capitalism or criminal capitalism. And all of these stimulus packages, as Rickard says, you know, they're not stimulus. They're just destroying everybody's economy. It's socialism for the rich, as a poor middle class lose our jobs and businesses and their savings and their pensions. This is criminal what's happening. Now, that's the reason I write and I get so vehement about it, is that it's criminal what we're doing to our own people. It's criminal capitalism, not capitalism. So that's why I'm, I get so upset. That there's no financial education in our schools. What does school teach you about money? The answer is nothing. You know, if I was a school teacher, I'd be telling kids to buy silver. It's 20 bucks. Buy it. <laughs> you'd be the coolest school teacher around robert um when you you know and you've been on a long time as you mentioned uh, predicting and forecasting that you know the, the ultimate crash was coming when you foresaw this in 02 could you have ever imagined it to be this bad though a situation of this magnitude because i i can't i can't i still can't fathom what's happening well, I, I feel all wholeheartedly with you, Danielle. You know, like, I knew it was coming, but I couldn't believe it actually quarantined people, take their jobs away. You know, this is martial law. This is, and it, this is a manufactured Great Depression when there was real unemployment. <laughs> now they have to manufacture unemployment. I mean... It's more frightening than I ever imagined. It's more dastardly, it's right. more deceptive, it's more criminal than I ever imagined. I'm Not that I'm afraid, but I feel for the people who are duped, the people who really think it's about the virus, not the biggest cash highs going on behind their backs in the repo market, the commercial paper market, and the credit markets. They just can't see their money is being stolen via their money. <laughs> So for, for the people who didn't get into gold and silver yet and are looking at these prices and every day you wake up and we're up tremendously, we're down tremendously, uh, you know, what, what, what would you advise to do here? Should you wait till things even out a bit? Would you be buying here? I, well, I agree with Jim Records, you know, he's, he's a brilliant man. What he says is I agree with. It's not the price of gold. It's mm. the number ounces of gold and silver do you have 
So I don't measure my wealth in dollars or right. uh, my gold and silver. I have thousands of ounces. And I don't even know how much I have. But I just keep acquiring it because just as Jim says, is when you need it, you won't be able to buy it. And yeah. and he, he says exactly, this, exactly as I say, the floating gold and silver supply is gone. People are hiding gold and silver like they hide toilet paper and guns right now. The problem is the poor and the middle class still have not got the message that gold and silver are God's money. Gold and silver have been here since the earth was formed. Your only counterparty is God, not the bank. <laughs> Robert, uh, you also tweeted about something I wanted to learn more about, uh, a proposal for a U.S. crypto dollar. Can you tell us more about what you what you know about this? Well, all I know is what I saw, you know, Chris Fox puts up Nancy Pelosi's picture. <laughs> but all it means to me is they go to crypto, it means the Federal Reserve Bank is sick and tired of Bitcoin taking their power away from them. So when when it goes to crypto, it means more control over our lives via our money, but also less freedom. So it's, it's as Jim Rickard says, they're taking away our freedoms one bit, one step at a yeah. time. So they want to track, you know, they don't like cash and they don't like gold because they can't control it. They have, there's no serial numbers they can follow, but they can follow you and track your movements. Not that I'm a criminal, but they want to follow our movements and take our freedoms away by, by registering every crypto dollar, whatever they call it, and the central banks then control it. Remember this, the central banks, as many of your people, your contributors to Kitco say, is a criminal operation. They've been stealing our wealth for years. That's my concern. And everybody thinks they're wonderful people. The theft Robert, has been going on for years. When does this get, when does this get better? <laughs> well, how, much, pretty, how long is this, this road? I think it's pretty good right now for me personally, but uh, I was prepared for it. Uh, my concern, again, as we all know, is civil unrest. And I was at the gun shop yesterday, and people think I'm anti-guns. I'm a Marine. I got enough ammunition to stockpile Cuba. And I, I, <laughs> and I, carry, and I carry class three weapons and full autos. You, you don't go to a gunfight with a Glock when you can carry a full auto. You know what I mean? There's a big difference. Being a Marine, I'm a pretty sick individual. But I think that's what's going to happen. Unfortunately, it's a probably twenty percent chance we're going to civil unrest, and that's why the National Guard is already out now, mm. pretending, pretending to guard the toilet paper supplies. <laughs> it, it's a very frightening times, Robert. And you mentioned Jim. We spoke to him last week. Um, I know he's growing all his own veggies and fruits, so he's doing well uh, wherever he is. How are you doing? I mean, I'm I'm doing my best to stay isolated, but I'm not stopping. You know, I'm not. A, it's not that I'm not afraid; is that I'm prepared. You know, I kind of mm -hmm. have the very hairy approach. You know, make my day. You come after me, I'm going to come after you. And that's what I wrote about. In, in by the way, the Twitter Twitter was taken down because I posted the real facts on corona on on, on coronavirus, the flu, diabetes, gunshots, and stuff like this. It's a it's a ruse. I mean, I don't doubt it's real, Social media. but it's blown out of proportion by the media. It's a fake. It's a deception to steal our money. 
So that's all I'm saying. And so am I afraid? So so he sounds like he's saying that this whole coronavirus, while everyone is freaked out, <clears throat> that it's like what I call hide the cup, that they're going, this is like their last ditch efforts to go in after people's money. I mean, people just are not prepared to even know how to fight back. I hope more talking heads like Kiyosake say, you know, okay, so how how do you protect? How do you protect your money from these people? That's what we need to know. That's what I'll be looking for the answers to give. I'm afraid of my next door neighbor. That's who I'm afraid of. You know, if they don't have any money, but they can't feed their kids, desperate people do desperate things. So I think you have to be prepared mentally. And just because you buy a Glock and you go and you shoot paper targets doesn't mean you're tactically ready for combat. There's a difference between shooting a paper target and going door to door. Robert Kiyosaki, always a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. And thank you. I enjoyed that. This is a great, this is a great tune for what we're dealing uh, with right now. Check this out. It's called Where There's Gold. Kyla Palace Radio. and these ideas and and really understanding about our world and, and what has been taking place on it. I know so many of us um, are uh, might be in shock hearing some of these things and, and even those of us that think we know, we think we know the shenanigans that have gone on behind the scenes and the power structure and all of that. I'm sure we don't even know the half of it. But we're so blessed that we are, we're given this time to be at home and to refocus ourselves, to be able to appreciate 
all the things that we have, no matter where you're living, no matter what you've got, no matter what condition your, your house is in, whether you're in the hood, no matter whatever it is, you're, you're together with the people that matter. And, you know, later on you're going to hear in this episode, or maybe earlier on you heard about the EMP or whatever that could possibly come. And, you know, I think that there is also an opportunity in that because maybe, maybe the divine is saying, you know what? I'm going to get your attention. There's not going to be any more devices. You're you're going to, you're going to, we're going to get our focus right and really appreciate why we're here, what we're about, the gift of life that we've been given, the gift of each other, to be here, incarnated on this planet at this amazing transitional time together. You know, it's, it's awesome. You know, like, I don't know how many times where different times in my life you know, I always kind of loved everywhere where I was fortunate enough to be raised and live. But it's kind of like you ever move from a place and then you think about it and you're like, wow, that was really nice. Like, like I enjoyed coming home there and, and had being in a part of a family there. And, and you don't realize it sometimes until you move out of a place where you... You know, when you have your whole family around with your brothers and sisters and your parents, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to college, I'm getting away from y'all, I'm going to go bust out, and you know, you have all these plans or whatever, and many people often do that, and they can't wait to be on their own, and um, there's never going to be a time like it was, you know, when you had that original family structure. And there were many times after when I got to college, I was like, wow, I really be, I really missed that. You know, like, you know, I do feel that I appreciated every second of it while it was going on. But in hindsight, to people that are experiencing it now, like, really enjoy your children. Really take a moment, play a board game. Play a board game. Do something where it's like, you know, a communication type game where it's like you guys have to interpret each other and the actual playing of the game helps you understand each other better, you know, or listen to each other better. Something like, you know, Pictionary or where they have to guess, all that kind of stuff where it's not just movies are great, you know, but not just sitting looking at a screen or dealing with a computer or playing a game. Like just really, Uno is great. You know, and actually, these are great suggestions for EMP time, you know, of like people are going to be sitting around, whatever. If you, uh, you know, I don't know if that affects our cooking or not. Let's have a backup plan. I got to start to think of something like what we could eat and, and what we could fix uh, if there's no electrical devices or whatever. Um, but I would say that, you know, that's a great time. To if you have it, if you don't, then you don't. But even if you have a terrace, you could do this. You could go out on your terrace, or you could go out in your backyard, or um, and you could make your your smoke your um what do you call it your s'mores, you know, or you could do even healthier 
uh, versions of that. If you set up, you know, learn, teach your kids how, so that anything happens, they, they know how to use some matches and have a little, uh, you know, not a stove, but you know how they have like these little things that you can put down and put light a little fire inside and then you can do fondue with fruit um you can do um there's so many different things that you can do but it's a nice thing that the whole family can go outside together you guys can talk you guys can uh you know chit chat you can talk about what's going on you can say everything that you wanted to say but didn't say whatever like that this is the time this is the time to do that so if we know that the emp is coming up uh let's try to think of the practical things but um also mentally you know what will we do how can we best maximize this time that we have together to love each other and to build memories this is something young people are going to remember for the rest of their lives and it, I mean, it's this is so incredible. It literally is. It was like the most frightening thing and yet the coolest thing. And you know what's so weird? Like I was watching, um, like I, I did like a whole run of Dungeons and Dragons, the cartoon from the 80s. And I really started to memorize the lessons, you know, in every episode there was a lesson, but it wasn't that wasn't too preachy I might start to add some here but it was like the worst of times is really the best of times but it's like you don't find that out until you're out of it so it's like how valiant and how strong and how resilient you can be as it's going on without knowing the outcome that's what defines you and that's what um that's ultimately um so it's a barometer of your growth how you went from here to there and how you did it how you went through it so i hope you enjoy that uh i might i might add more stuff but i don't know just trying to give you uh positive things <laughs> to focus on so everybody uh, prepare as best you can for the EMP Tyler Powers Radio what I thought were pretty interesting where were they uh, hold on was this one of them I think this was invited to dine with them in their homes. Oh, this was so crazy interesting. Check out this. This channel is called... Uh, and so my companion and I separated. It's he called Article 7, and it's about the hollow earth theory. I think it's really interesting. Here we go. Going with one giant to that giant's home. And I'm going with another giant to his home. My gigantic friend brought me home to his family. And I was completely dismayed to see the huge size of all the objects in his home. The dinner table was colossal. 
A plate was put before me, and filled with a portion of food so big it would have fed me abundantly an entire week. The giant offered me a cluster of grapes, and each grape was as big as one of our peaches. I tasted one, and found it far sweeter than any I had ever tasted outside. In the interior of the earth, all the fruits and vegetables taste far better and more flavorsome than those we have on the outer surface of the earth. We stayed with the giants for one year, enjoying their companionship as much as they enjoyed knowing us. We observed many strange and unusual things during our visit with these remarkable people and were continually amazed at their scientific progress and inventions. All of this time, they were never unfriendly to us, and we were allowed to return to our own home in the same manner in which we came. In fact, they courteously offered their protection if we should need it for the return voyage. These giants were evidently members of the antediluvian race of Atlanteans who established residence in the Earth's interior prior to the historic deluge that submerged their Atlantic continent. A similar experience of a visit to the hollow interior of the Earth through the polar opening, and entirely independently, was made by another Norwegian named Olaf Janssen and recorded in the book The Smoky God, written by Willis George Emerson, an American writer. The book is based on a report made by Janssen to Mr. Emerson before his death, describing his real experience of visiting the interior of the Earth and its inhabitants. The title, The Smoky God, refers to the central sun in the hollow interior of the Earth, which, being smaller and less brilliant than our sun, appears as smoky. The book relates to the true experience of a Norse father and his son, who, with their small fishing boat and unbounded courage, attempted to find the land beyond the north wind, as they had heard of its warmth and beauty. An extraordinary windstorm carried them most of the distance through the polar opening into the hollow interior of the earth. They spent two years there and returned through the south polar opening. The father lost his life when an iceberg broke in two and destroyed the boat. The son was rescued and subsequently spent 24 years in prison for insanity as a result of telling the story of his experience to incredulous people. When he was finally released, he told the story to no one. After 26 years as a fisherman, he saved enough money to come to the United States and settled in Illinois and later in California. In his 90s, by accident, the novelist Willis George Emerson befriended him and was told the story. On the old man's death, he relinquished the maps that he had made of the interior of the earth and the manuscript describing his experiences. He refused to show it to anyone while he was alive due to his past experience of people disbelieving him and considering him insane if he mentioned the subject. The book, The Smoky God, describing Olaf Janssen's unusual trip to the hollow interior of the earth was published in 1908. It tells about the people who dwell inside. Oh my goodness, I just want to get you this picture. One second, guys. Picture's really pretty much the worth maps it. that he had made of the interior of the earth and the manuscript describing his experiences. He refused to show it to anyone while he was alive due to his past experience of people disbelieving him and considering him insane. 
if he mentioned the subject. The book, The Smoky God, describing Olaf Janssen's unusual trip to the hollow interior of the earth, was published in 1908. It tells about the people who dwell inside the earth, whom he and his father met during their visit, and whose language he learned. He said that they lived from 400 to 800 years, and are highly advanced in science. They can transmit their thoughts from one to another by certain types of radiations, and have sources of power greater than our electricity. They are the creators of the flying saucers, which are operated by this superior power, drawn from the electromagnetism of the atmosphere. They are 12 or more feet in stature. It is remarkable how this report of a visit to the Earth's interior corresponds with the other described above, yet both were entirely independent of each other. Also, the gigantic size of the human beings dwelling in the Earth's interior corresponds to the great size of its animal life, as observed by Admiral Byrd, who, during his 1,700-mile flight beyond the North Pole, observed a strange animal resembling the ancient mammoth. Before Columbus discovered America, belief in the existence of a new world across the Atlantic in the form of a western continent was considered as the dream of a madman. Equally strange, in our own time, is the belief of the existence of a new world, a subterranean world, in the hollow interior of the earth, and which is as unknown to present humanity as the American continent was to Europeans prior to its discovery by Columbus. Yet there is no reason why it, too, may not be discovered and its existence established as a fact. Arnoldo de Azevedo, in his Physical Geography, wrote as follows about the mysterious world below our feet, concerning which scientists know nothing beyond a few miles in profundity, entertaining only theories, hypotheses, and conjectures to hide their ignorance. We have below our feet an immense region whose radius is 6,290 kilometers, which is completely unknown challenging the conceit and competence of scientists. This statement is absolutely true. Scientists to date have penetrated only a few miles inside the Earth, and what lies further down they may know nothing about, depending only on conjectures, guesses, and suppositions. Many of the commonly accepted theories and beliefs about the Earth's interior do not rest on any scientific basis and seem to originate in the old ecclesiastical idea of hellfire in the center of the earth, which is so much like the belief of scientists that the core of the earth is a mass of fire and molten metal, yet the scientific belief rests on no more positive evidence than the religious one. Both are merely suppositions without an iota of proof. The belief in the earth having a fiery center probably arose from the fact that the deeper one penetrates into the earth, the warmer it gets. But it is a far-fetched assumption to suppose that this increase of temperature continues until the center of the Earth. There is no evidence to support this view. It is more probable that the increase of temperature continues only until we reach the level where volcanic lava and earthquakes originate, probably due to the existence of much radioactive substances there. But after we pass through this layer of maximum heat, there is no reason why it should not get cooler and cooler as we get nearer and nearer to the Earth's center. The total surface of the Earth 
is 197 million square miles and its estimated weight is 6 sextillion tons. If the Earth was a solid sphere, its weight would be much greater. There is one among other scientific evidences of the fact that the Earth has a hollow interior. The author believes that the truest conception of the structure of the Earth is based upon the idea that when it was in a molten state during its formulation, centrifugal force caused the heavier substances to be thrown outward towards its periphery in the form of rocks and metals to form its outer crust, leaving its interior hollow with openings at the poles where the centrifugal force was less and where there was less tendency to throw materials outward which was greater at the equator, causing the bulging of the Earth in this region. It has been estimated that as a result of the Earth's rotation on its axis during its formative state, polar depressions and openings thus formed would measure about 1,400 miles in diameter. Also, we shall present evidence to indicate that some of the original fire and incandescent materials remained in the center of the Earth to form a central sun, much smaller, of course, than our sun, but capable of emitting light and supporting plant growth. We shall also see that the aurora borealis, or stream lights that illuminate the Arctic sky at night, come from this central sun, whose rays shine through the polar opening. Thus, if the Earth was originally a ball of fire and molten metal, some of this fire remained in its center, while centrifugal force, as a result of its rotation on its axis, caused its solid matter to be thrown toward the surface, forming a solid crust and leaving its interior hollow, with a fiery ball at its center, forming the central sun, which provides illumination for plant, animal and human life. The first one to present the theory of the Earth being hollow, with openings at its poles, was an American thinker, William Reed, author of the book Phantom of the Poles, published in 1906. This book provides the first compilation of scientific evidence based on the reports of Arctic explorers in support of the theory that the Earth is hollow, with openings at its poles. Reed estimates that the crust of the Earth has a thickness of 800 miles, while its hollow interior has a diameter of 6,400 miles. Reed summarizes his revolutionary theory as follows. The Earth is hollow. The poles, so long sought, are phantoms. There are openings at the northern and southern extremities. In the interior are vast continents, oceans, mountains and rivers. Vegetable and animal life are evident in this new world and it is probably peopled by races unknown to dwellers on the Earth's surface. Reed pointed out that the Earth is not a true sphere, but is flattened at the poles, or rather, it begins to flatten out as one approaches the hypothetical North and South Pole, which really do not exist, because the openings to its hollow interior occur there. Hence the poles are really in mid-air, in the center of the polar openings, and are not on its surface, as would be discoverers of the poles suppose. Reed claims that the poles cannot be discovered because the Earth is hollow at its pole points, which exist in mid-air, due to the existence there of polar openings leading to its interior. When explorers thought they reached the pole, they were misled by the eccentric behavior of the compass in high latitudes, north and south. 
Reed claims that this happened in the case of Peary and Cook, neither of whom really reached the North Pole. Starting at 70 to 75 degrees north and south latitude, the Earth starts to curve in. The pole is simply the outer rim of a magnetic circle around the polar opening. The North Magnetic Pole, once thought to be a point in the Arctic archipelago, has been lately shown by Soviet Arctic explorers to be a line approximately a thousand miles long. However, as we stated above, instead of being a straight line, it really is a circular line constituting the rim of the polar opening. When an explorer reaches this rim, he has reached the North Magnetic Pole, and though the compass will always point to it after one passes it, it is really not the North Pole even if one is deluded into thinking it is, or that he has discovered the pole due to having been misled by his compass. When one reaches this magnetic circle, the rim of the polar opening, the magnetic needle of the compass points straight down. This has been observed by many Arctic explorers who, after reaching high latitudes near to 90 degrees, were dumbfounded by the inexplicable action of the compass and its tendency to point vertically upward. They were then inside the polar opening, and the compass pointed to the Earth's north magnetic pole, which was along the rim of this opening. As the Earth turns on its axis, the motion is gyroscopic, like the spinning of a top. The outer gyroscopic pole is the magnetic circle of the rim of the polar opening. Beyond the rim, the Earth flattens and slopes gradually towards its hollow interior. The true pole is the exact center of the opening at the poles, which, consequently, do not really exist. And those who claim to have discovered them did not tell the truth, even if they thought they did. Having been misled by the irregular action of the compass at high latitudes, for this reason, neither Cook nor Peary nor any other explorer ever reached the North or South Poles, and never will. something else for you guys uh, some really cool stuff oh. patience is a virtue we will find it So if they're saying humanity is no longer <laughs> going to be under quarantine, and I'm not talking about uh, COVID-19, I'm talking about our whole planet. We have not been able to, you know, go to other galaxies of late and do certain things. They're saying that that quarantine might be lifted. Uh, so um ran across something really interesting, maybe writers, filmmakers, and just explorers in general be interested in it uh really looking back on uh the 2001 uh space odyssey that's what this is here and this whole last part of the show if y'all hang on for it i always give you uh probably <laughs> i give you a lot but if you put it on 
you know, what I'm hoping is that you put it on for your real news in the beginning. And as you, you know, start to settle in and that good news, you know, I really, I just suddenly got this burst of positivity. And I'm a pretty positive person, but more positive than I've been in so long. And it felt right and it felt good. And so that I feel has immensely already in just a fraction of a second, um, I'm feeling so much more relaxed and at ease than I was uh, given all this information about coronavirus. Um, So, you know, sit back and enjoy this and be able to go uh, in your imagination, you know, and, and really dream because it seems like human beings are going to really be able to achieve um, what uh, visionaries like Roddenberry and others uh, have written about in science fiction that we actually, in our lifetimes, might be able to experience the universe. So here is just a look at some of the creative minds that got people dreaming about what the possibilities were and what it would be like. And not only that, what would our responsibilities be? And how could we also uh, retain our humanity and and our integrity in space? Um, very, very interesting. So no matter what shows that I have coming up, I'll be having little tidbits, um, just little interesting things uh, for us to think about. And uh, when I listened to it, I was just got so relaxed and I was able to fall right on into a nice sleep. So it's something that you could just put on and relax and just have a nice uh, story time, sleepy time. Okay, enjoy. Yeah, I found the same thing. Hey, listen, Fred, I wanted to ask you something. Because Kubrick was, you know, always a person you could talk to about things. When it's Doctor Strangelove, did you? Was it your idea to put on the cowboy hat? He says, "Sure as hell was." <laughs> anyway, I just thought you'd get it. Oh, how did how did that smartness manifest himself? Gary said that Kubrick was not a pretentious man at all. No, not at what all. kind of what kind of ideas did you get to grips with in those conversations with him? You know. <laughs> A great part of his work in terms of preparation, he was the most prepared director I've ever worked with, and uh, so much had been done before we arrived. And there wasn't a lot of, well, at least with us, there wasn't a lot of direction. I think perhaps, my, it's my theory that great directors cast well. If you cast well, really cast well, you don't have to do a lot of directing. And so much of what we needed was in the script. Okay, can I just ask, because yes. in, in legend, I don't know if it's true, two important bits of this movie arose from discussions with you two, that uh, in the case of Gary, the lip reading of Hal is said to have been your idea on the well, set. Which they this is a to. kind of conspiracy that, in the uh, film, you know, I Hal I, overhears, I lip reads you through claim the window to, spaceship. That I said the actual lip reading. <clears throat> what had happened is Stanley had sent me down because we were going to go into the little pods. 
and um, we had to have a spacesuit on and it would be awkward and they wouldn't there's real time screen time and screen time is faster than real time you know what i'm saying okay so he said would you go down there and make sure that you you two can go in the pods and look comfortable doing so so i went down looked at the pod and they it was on a completely different set never around where we were working and uh, so i came back and i reported to stanley i said not a problem he said well what did you think <clears throat> i said well best thing to do is just a little handle inside the pod we walk our legs in and slide into our respective seats and he said ah okay and uh do we have a handle i said no i told your people to put one in he says good that you know that's the kind of man he was well because of knowing that pod we started to shoot different scenes which i i hate to be a bad person here but they 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 were just not scenes i liked all that much i mean they were starting to increase the paranoia in the part of the computer and uh i just felt we were going a different way than what we had been doing and we started so one day we were shooting something and i i was sort of off base and afterward he looked at me and he said uh, is anything bothering you and i said no and i i gave him kind of a smart comment a little cowboy comment you know like uh, a california surfer dumb comment like that and i said that's what this scene reminds me of and he rapped and it was only about 12 o'clock or so so <clears throat> we we had our dressing rooms in the uh, second floor of mgm Bournemouth, and kubrick's room was here and mine was here and Kira was here and so we we stayed fit we went up and exercised and uh, grabbed a shower and and Derek Cracknell, <clears throat> Michael Caine character, knocked on my door and said, the gov wants to see you, mate. I said, hey, uh, am I fired? He said, Stanley fired people. <laughs> and I said, he said, don't know, mate. You got to go see him. So I walk in his door and I'm, I'm Polish and German. So I walk in the room and he's got a whole wall of, uh, of uh, 78, you know, the albums. And I walk in and he looks at me and he says, so you're Polish and German, aren't you? And I said, yeah. He said, <clears throat> would you like some vodka? I said, yeah. And then he puts on a, a Chopin. So I have a vodka. And I said, look, before we get into it, am I fired? You know, I mean, I was perfectly willing to go back to California. I missed surfing anyway. And uh, but at the same time, I didn't really want to be fired. He said, no, he said, uh, you've, you've been very conscientious, a company man, so to speak. But he said, it is my policy, if an actor's been conscientious and he objects to something, I've learned over the years that actors are of their own mindset. They see things a certain way. And he said, I feel that uh, there was something, you know, that you should uh, contribute. But I don't, I don't know what, exactly what was bothering you. Well, the end of the story is he told me to go back to London and and stop in Golders Green and his driver Eddie his chauffeur his personal chauffeur would take me back to London and he said and go into the deli there and get whatever you want and bagels and lox and cream cheese and uh, anything else and next time I hear from you let's get what idea you have a little not an ultimatum but a little bit like really okay 
And so uh, I had this idea and I took a spiral notebook and I started writing all the, you know, bracket my mental exposures as to what was good or bad or what we were trying to accomplish. And finally, I, I thought just an old fashioned scene between two actors, Dave Bowman and Frank Poole. And uh, Kira and I as actors, I felt could create the paranoia. I didn't actually come up with the lip reading that was a moment by a Brit by the name of Victor Linden. I have to give him full credit. But it was my idea to go in the pod and isolate. And later on, when it became the intermission break, I was quite proud. <laughs> Gary, you're a chess player. So is Kubrick. So is Hal 9000. Let's get into talking about him by uh, joining you and Hal in the middle of a chess game. Oh. Is, is Hal a fantasy, or does he reflect the anticipations that people were making at that moment as far as uh, AI was concerned? Uh, no, it, it's not a fantasy, uh, although as I mentioned earlier, it's uh, not happened as fast as we might have thought in the 60s, but uh, it's, it's undoubtedly true that, that, that there's a big, big project now, a multinational project to build a, a human brain simulation. And the, the big question is, does consciousness emerge as a result of the enactment of some algorithm? Is it, is it an emergent property? I would guess that it, that it must be, because I don't see what else it can be. But the, the, it, from a scientific perspective, we haven't shown that to be the case yet. So we, we have computer programs that can beat anyone at chess. Keir, you mentioned that, uh, that, you, that the voice of Douglas Rain wasn't the one that was heard on set, um, that that was somebody else right. entirely. So when did you you first hear that voice which is one premiere so what was your response to it because oh i it thought is... i thought it was brilliant i mean it just was, is perfect and special and uh, unexpected i mean that wouldn't be a kind of you know up to i thought the computer when they finally when stanley would finish the film would be like uh we are like this i am a computer you know what I mean. I mean, I never even thought of Siri. I mean, I just thought it would be like, and what a, what a brilliant choice of voice. He was, anyway, that was my response. And, and weirdly, it turns it around, doesn't it? Yeah. The idea that somehow the computer is, is strangely more emotional than... Yeah, it's, it's the most human character in, in the movie. Absolutely. Isn't it? Absolutely. Isn't it? Absolutely. They, they chose Douglas Rain, you know, because one of the films they watched uh, while preparing it was a film called Universe, made by the National Film Board of Canada in uh, 1960, where Douglas Rain does the voiceover. Oh, really? And it sounds just like Hal. Uh, uh, you know, it's that sort of uh, welcome to outer space sort of voice. And I think that must have given them the idea to, to approach him. You know, in, in the film, the most, uh, the only real emotional scene for me, other than that, when Hal won't let me back in the, in the ship, but was when I take Hal apart. 
take his brain apart. And it kind of was analogous. I don't know how many of you know a play and also a film called Of Mice and Men. But at the end of Mice and Men, George is going to have to put Lenny out of his misery. Otherwise, he's going to be strung up by a posse. And there's this familiar story about uh, the, how they're going to have a farm together. And as he's saying, yeah, 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 and we're going to have the chickens, right? Right, George? That's right, Lenny. Of course, he's got a pistol behind him, and he, he shoots him. And in a way, for me, taking Hal apart was analogous to that scene. That's what I used, actually. Well, right. What is interesting about the uh, Hal is that the, the way that it, Hal is taught... You see it, I think, actually in 2010 as well, don't you, where you're teaching the computers. It's equal. That, that, that's the way that we, we use what are called neural networks now. In, in particle physics, my field, we use them. And the way you use them is to teach them. So, and, and they can do very simple things very well, like pattern recognition. But you don't program them to do that. You teach them to do that. So I think it's another example of a superb bit of, of, of science, of future. But, but they didn't get miniaturization or mobility in dealing with computers. It's a sort of static relationship or distributed computing, that doesn't come into it, does it? It's like a mainframe sitting there, it is. in a way, although it does a lot of the things that subsequently computers could do. The physical relationship between the astronauts and computer is very mid-60s. When we see this in, in, in science fiction, I think we what, what we've... No film has managed to get miniaturization right. That, that's gone at a pace that nobody imagined. Let's investigate the relationship between these characters and the computer with a moment from the film in which uh, your characters suspect that something is awry and a malfunctioning antenna seems to have nothing wrong with it at all. Let's say we put the unit back and it doesn't fail. Huh? That would pretty well wrap it up as far as I was concerned, wouldn't it? Well, we'd be in very serious trouble. We would, wouldn't we? Mm-hmm. What the hell can we do? Well, we wouldn't have too many alternatives. I don't think we'd have any alternatives. There isn't a single aspect of ship operations that's not under his control. If he were proven to be malfunctioning, I wouldn't see how we'd have any choice but disconnection. I'm afraid I agree with you. There'd be nothing else to do. It'd be tricky. Yeah. We'd have to cut his higher brain functions without disturbing the purely automatic and regulatory systems. And we'd have to work out the transfer procedures of continuing the mission under ground-based computer control. Yeah. Well, that's far safer than allowing Hal to continue running things. You know, another thing just occurred to me. Mm. Well, as far as I know, no 9,000 computers have been disconnected. Well, no 9,000 computers ever found out before. That's not what I mean. Hmm? Well, I'm not so sure what he'd think about it. <laughs> so this is a scene that shows something about... Uh, I suppose there's an element of technophobia in this, mm. isn't there? What sense did you have, Keir, that this was tapping into something contemporary, some contemporary anxiety about technology in the late 60s? I, I didn't think about that at the time. It really was, it, it's a dramatic, from an actor's point of view, it's a dramatic scene about where our suspicions are just rising. But I don't think, uh, I don't think I thought about it's the, the, the implications that you're referring to, I have to be honest. But was that bubbling away in the culture? I, right. I don't know that It is technophobia. When I read into that scene, is a, you're talking about a conscious... Thing. That's what I read. I, I wonder what you were thinking of when you were acting. You were talking about 
shutting down a conscious being was that well, in your head yeah that's what I you're absolutely right that's why I said when I do finally uh, dismantle his uh, higher functions um, to me it was an emotional thing it was dealing with a with an entity and that it was like like that film so yeah I'm sorry. Sorry, the, the Hal thing did develop uh, as, as they went along. I mean, Arthur C. Clarke seems to have had some difficulty with two aspects of the script, of, of the novelization, which came first, unusually. One was Hal, and how would they handle that? And the other was the Stargate, and exactly how that would work. Uh, and, this is uh, the moment when we, we get transported. Yeah, but, where. but where Hal's concerned, I think what he felt was there isn't a baddie in this film. I mean, if you're going to have a drama, you've got to have goodies and baddies in the end of it. And here's these two goodies sitting there. They've got all the PhDs in the world, the wonderful people, these astronauts. Where's the, where's the conflict? Where's the drama to propel? So Hal becomes the baddie, I think, in, in, in a very straightforward way. So it's not so much technophobia, it's the demands of drama, I think. I think you're right. I'd, I'd like to just point out something. That we have a term in America called Monday morning quarterbacking. Our football is a very complicated game. It's chess and violence. And on, well, that's why we like it. You tell us that it's too slow where they huddle up, but it's a fantastic game of strategy and then violence and then strategy, then violence. And I th what I'd like to say is on Monday, everybody's a genius about the result. And we call that Monday morning quarterbacking. And after Melville, who died in a debtor's prison, wrote Moby Dick, everybody told us the rest of our lives. I was a football player at UCLA and an English major, and I remember my professors telling me what the white whale represented. Well, come on. <laughs> I mean, maybe Melville one day said, eh, I'll make him white. <laughs> you know, I don't... I don't I, I, well, I, I hope you understand what I mean, because there's so much post-mortem discussions about everything in the planet and afterwards the allegory was this as opposed to this and maybe it's not really true maybe it just form follows function and uh, we have a thing called evolution in the world right well let's focus on a moment where we can see something emerging very explicitly Hal's status as the villain of the piece. Um, let's, uh, let's look at the moment where we see Keir's mission commander Bowman confronting Hal in what's become one of cinema's most celebrated standoffs. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the problem? I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. What are you talking about, Hal? This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. I don't know what you're talking about, Hal. I know that you and Frank were planning to disconnect me. And I'm afraid that's something I cannot allow to happen. Where the hell did you get that idea, Hal? Hey, although you took very thorough precautions in the part against my hearing you, I could see your lips move. 
one of the one of the great moments in film history, isn't it? And I suppose coming to this moment in the picture leads us towards questions that might be rather dangerous, questions of interpretation and uh, um, what this what this film means. I said at the beginning that we wouldn't uh, we wouldn't make an explicit statement about this, but how did you tussle with that question, Keir, while you were making it? Well, you know, um, it's actually after the fact that I've thought a lot about what you're suggesting. And, and for me, in a, in a way, this film is a metaphor for Darwin's theory. And there's no ending to this. It will continue each level leading to the next level. I mean, the only thing one can guarantee in existence is change. That's all you can guarantee. Nothing else is guaranteed in, in existence. And I think this film... I may be oversimplifying it, has a lot to do with that. What's your... Is there a reading that you take from this, Brian? Well, what's interesting is I think Clark has repeated this story many times, or explored this territory many times. Childhood's End is an example of this, mm. this idea that you have a... the human race can go somewhere else. And it could be... That's another said, novel by Clark. Rather, rather a, a simple just ascent, um, uh, the ascent of man, if you like. Or, uh, often, I think, in, certainly in Childer's End, you see a complete transformation, like a chrysalis to a, to a butterfly. That, that, so that, that, that idea, in, with the, obviously the original short story, The Sentinel, which is an interesting idea that, that some, some race, some, some, future, some alien beings would, put, would help us along the way, th th those, those two things are mixed in. And then you put Hal on top, where you've got this exploration of artificial intelligence. And I think the morality, I, re I read... The, the story with Hal has, has been a if you're a conscious being and you see that someone's going to kill you basically and you read it then what are you going to do well he does what I think many of us would do so I, I see Hal as a so you've got many threads in this film haven't you but Clark explored it many times that's that's Hal behaving as a human isn't absolutely it? yeah that's what that's what we do isn't it absolutely I mean for me what one aspect of the interpretation that isn't usually emphasized enough is in the title uh, as, as a kind of parallel odyssey uh, you're called Bowman you've got this single all-seeing eye like the Cyclops mm -hmm. of the of the computer um, it, it sort of finishes in in these strange waters where you don't quite know where you're going and only one survivor uh, the computer was originally going to be called Athena rather than Hal, which is the protector, protectress goddess of, of Odysseus. And so it's a journey into it, it, trying to recapture the wonder of what people must have felt in ancient Greece when these ships were going out into uncharted waters, but in an updated space context. For me, that's the interpretation of the film. It's, an odd, it's, it's, a, it's a reworking of Homer for the space age. And... And all sorts of strange things happen that we can all interpret in lots of different ways, but it's the Odyssey that holds it together. I wonder why the white whale was white and the monolith was black. Why, Gary? Because <laughs> yeah, originally the monolith was either going to be a pyramid, but that was dropped. I think it was a bit like it the chariots. The, the original monolith yeah, yeah. was yeah, but a also huge, in the great design, piece of plastic. Yeah, yeah a, a transparent piece with, with yeah. sort of images uh, projected onto it, a bit of right. perspex. And eventually they end up with this wonderful matte black rectangle, which is absolutely perfect. I remember that um, uh, Arthur C. Clarke, one day we were talking about uh, artificial intelligence, uh, about uh, alien life, the possibility, and he pointed out that there may be more ga galaxies than there are s grains of sand in the ocean. Mm. If you think about it that way, 
all you'd need is point zero 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 one and that's still a lot of aliens out there. <laughs> well, you know, the, the current estimate is that there are about a 20 billion Earth-like planets in the Milky Way galaxy. Yeah, so just 20 our billion in just yeah. the Milky Way and 350 billion galaxies in the observable universe. Is there anything that we can take from 2001 that would show us how our ideas have changed about such things since... 1968, or, or do the questions, do those questions about the existence of alien life remain more or less unchanged by it? It's, it's even more baffling, because in 1968 we discovered no planets beyond the solar system. Now we've discovered of order 2,000, and we can do statistics now. So, so back now it's even more baffling that we don't see any sign of any advanced intelligence, we, we, we look reasonably hard. Because, because the photos from Mars were coming through when they were writing it from 9,000 miles away, uh, Stanley Kubrick actually went, apparently, to Lloyd's of London and asked how much it would cost to get an insurance policy against discovering aliens before the movie came out. Uh, he, got, he got seriously worried that uh, it might sort of trump him. Uh, and uh, Because, I mean, as Arthur Clarke said, I think you mentioned earlier, Matthew, that, that you know, either, either it will have happened, in which case the movie will take on a whole new resonance, or it won't, in which case fine, you know, it's a speculative thing. But they were genuinely worried that there might be a breakthrough during the, during the shooting well, period. Clark very famously said, I think, that he, he, there are only two possibilities. Either there are other civilizations out there, or we are the only one, and either possibility terrifies me. Mm -hmm. Did you, I wanted to ask you, actually, was Clark a, a presence uh, on, on the he set? Was there, was he there? Uh, you saw he certainly was there when we first arrived. I don't know whether he stayed the whole, during the whole shoot. Well, he, he came in and out. Yeah. Yeah, he came in and out. And He's a lovely man. I have to say man. this. <clears throat> I was sitting next to him on the flight back to Los Angeles from New York to do our third consecutive premiere, Washington, New York, L.A. And we were sitting there, and Kieran Ray Lovejoy, Stanley's project, uh, projectionist, and one of his editors were sitting in back, and Arthur turned to me and he said, Do you know something? He said... I saw the film last night, and it's just—it's just—it's extraordinary. I mean, I couldn't believe how how great and what an incredible job Stanley did. And I remember, I turned to uh, Arthur and I said, "Arthur, it's Stanley Kubrick. I mean, they just don't make a lot of those." And, <laughs> and when uh, when I got offered the job, my agent said, "Stanley Kubrick wants you to be." one of the leads in his new film, 2001, A Space Odyssey. My response to my agent was, fantastic, what's it going to cost me? <laughs> in a way, surely, one of the, the subjects of this film is about the limits of human knowledge. Um, and it, it seems just as mysterious an artifact, the film itself, as the, as the monoliths that we encounter in it. How does it still resonate now, Christopher, 2001? Well, I think the mysteriousness was, must, have, must have been part of Stanley Kubrick's project because um, I did an interview last year with the, tech, the scientific advisor on the film, a man called Frederick Ordway, who died uh, shortly after the, the interview, and he was expecting it to be much more explicit about science, that they explain what the centrifuge was, they'd explain what the HAL was, they'd explain what the uh, Orion space 
the plane was and all these other things in voiceover. And he wrote a long memo to Stanley Kubrick saying, why isn't there more science? You know, we've put all this scientific information into this film and you've cut it all out. It's all left to the viewer. And that, I think, was what he had in mind all along. Keep it mysterious. Keep them guessing. Don't explain anything. Don't be literal about it. Just go with the flow. And he said in an interview, when someone said, why haven't you told us what the hell's going on? He said, look, if I explain to you why the Mona Lisa was smiling, it would kill it. Well said. Well yeah. said. And yeah. there, I'm afraid, our voyage will have to come to an end. I think it's been a very successful mission. Successful in the sense that 2001 A Space Odyssey is a journey that seems unlikely ever to end. And what a privilege it's been to have these four on board. Brian Cox, Christopher Frayling, Gary Lockwood and Keir DeLay. And thank you to... the very direct connection to our, our center, um, 2001 A Space Odyssey. Um, now, 2001... No, I thought that was pretty cool, but that's not what I wanted to do. Some cool things that went on. Uh,